Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. Greetings from the Bethany congregation in central Wisconsin. We have to um, listen past my accent here this morning. I don't think I have one, but you all do, so you probably think that I do. So. Uh, <clears throat> so what I'd like to preach this morning is a message that grew out of some discussions at the Minister's Study Week uh, a month ago over at the Pike Church and realized that some of these questions about the church um, have been around a long time in churches all over. People struggle with these things. And even in other times, there's there's been questions about the church. So I'm going to start with uh, writing some words here on the board. <clears throat> so for those of you who aren't here, can't see the, the board, I had the word family written, and then I have it written again, misspelled, it's missing an M. Um, things aren't quite like they should be, can seem like a fail sometimes. And then I have the word church written, and then it's also written, um, there's a letter missing, two letters switched around, extra letter that's not supposed to be there um, that looks like the word crutch. So sometimes we, because of maybe our past experiences with families or churches, we have this distorted view of what church is supposed to be. And the difficult thing is that sometimes churches can be have problems, can have things that aren't supposed to be there. Um, but we'll look at uh, what the Bible has to say about church and our relationship to it. So just by introduction, uh, the word in the New Testament that is translated into the English word church that occurs 114 times in the New Testament and almost all the time is translated church. There's three times when it is not, and that's in Acts 19. You don't need to turn to this, but I'll read uh, verse 32. This was in Ephesus when they had a riot. Some therefore cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. So that word assembly is the same word that is translated church in other parts of the New Testament. And then verse 39, but if you inquire anything concerning other matter, it should be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we might give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. So those three times that word assembly, they, it's obvious it wasn't a religious gathering, so they translated it assembly. All the other times the word ecclesia is translated church in the King James Version. Now in James 2 verse 2 says, For there are come... For if there are come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel. So in that verse, assembly comes from the word synagogue. And then also in Acts 13, 
Verse 42, when the Jews were going out of the synagogue, that's, you know, what we think of the, with the word synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. So this was when Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch in Pisidia. Now when the congregation was broken up, and there the word congregation is the same one as the word synagogue. So it's kind of interesting there, the word synagogue, in the first time it's used here, the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, could mean the building or it could mean the, the gathering, the group. But the second time it's used, it says now when this congregation was broken up, uh, there it's definitely talking about the gathering of people because uh, you wouldn't break up the building. It doesn't make sense. But uh, the reason I bring that those verses in there is because it's, it's kind of how we use the word church today. We talk of church meaning the building or the people or the gathering. Um, there they used the New Testament writer used the word synagogue in the same way. There's some synonyms for church in English. Uh, now this is not talking about the building, this is talking about the people or the gathering. Uh, the word faith or body, um, Daryl was talking about brotherhood, congregation, fellowship, assembly or meeting those are all words that are closely related to church <clears throat> now there's some people who who believe that you shouldn't use the word church in the new testament or in other words that they shouldn't have translated the greek word ekklesia into the word church because originally in english that word meant belonging to the lord instead of what the Greek word meant was just assembly, a group of people. And there's some evidence that maybe King James was a bit loose in his demanding the translators use the word church in the King James Version uh, that may have allowed him to keep some political control over the, over the church. He may have been a bit loose in doing that, um, but... I, I don't see an issue with using the word church now. It means what the New Testament people thought of when they used that word ecclesia. So church means what it's supposed to today. Uh, biblical definitions of church. So what is the smallest gathering that you can call a church? Well, Jesus talked about where two or three are gathered in my name there am I in the midst of them. And that was in the context of church discipline, even said two or three. <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that two or three of you get together and try to discipline somebody. That's, that's not what that is referring to. It just means that it can be a very small group and Jesus can still be there. The upper limit, um, Acts 2, Acts 4, both talk about where there were thousands added to the their number so there's the universal church and even though sometimes we get a little bit nervous when people talk about the universal church um, that is a biblical concept uh, concept bible talks about the bride of christ and the saints of all time 
Uh, Ephesians 5 is one passage that has that. There's, there's a number of others, too. So the universal church is one definition. There's denominations, such as the Catholic Church or the Mennonite Church. Um, that's not necessarily used in the Bible in that way. But that's the way we use the word church today sometimes. There's the local or regional congregation, and that's referring to the people, no matter where they are, if they're in their home or, you know, you talk about um, how many members does your church have? And in Philemon, Paul wrote about the church in thy house. He's talking about the group of people that commonly meets in Philemon's house. So it was a congregation. Sometimes we use the word church to mean the gathering or the meeting. Uh, for instance, you might say, well, we had church at Wesley's house instead of at the, instead of at the church house. And here's a, a verse from 1 Corinthians that illustrates that definition. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three, and that by course, and let one interpret but if it be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So there it's referring to the meeting. And then the last definition is the building. Uh, you might say, well, let's meet at church tomorrow night. And there you mean the church building. Uh, to my knowledge, that definition is not found in the Bible, but the word synagogue would be a closely related word that is used. Antonyms, words that kind of mean the opposite of church, uh, something like civil or secular, unbelief, individual, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> individual would be another antonym. Church membership. I'll just briefly talk about some biblical um, description of church membership. So in Matthew 18 and in 1 Corinthians 5, those are both passages that talk about church discipline. There's a very clear distinction between those that are in the church and those that are out. Uh, so that concept of that there is some definition of somebody in the church, somebody that's out of the church. Acts 2 and Acts 4, they both talks about the number of the people. There's, in Acts 2, there was 3,000 people. So there had to be some, somebody was counting, so there had to be some way of knowing that they were part of the group or they were not part of the group. And then in the passage about Ananias and Sapphira, after that, it says there were some who didn't join, even though they thought highly of the people, of, of the Christians. But then there were others who did join. So it, it gives a clear distinction between those who joined and those who did not. I just mentioned those as uh, biblical basis for church membership. So that's what I had for introduction. And now I plan to go through some questions that we run into when it comes to church life. Um, some of these you might say, well, yeah, I under always understood that. And that's, that's good if you, if you do, but uh, sometimes we run into situations where people question these things. 
So the first one is baptism necessary for a Christian. So what I would say there is that nowhere in the New Testament is a Christian mentioned as not being baptized. Now, there's plenty of times Christians are mentioned and it doesn't say anything about their baptism, but nowhere does it say such and such a man was a believer in Jesus, but he was not baptized. They just always are baptized when they're mentioned. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. We'll read a couple of verses there. So here Paul is is making some points about being a Christian, and the way he describes it is with baptism. So Romans 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So therefore, uh, in that passage, he's just saying, instead of saying, if you're a Christian, here's how it's going to work. He just says, if you're baptized into Jesus Christ. So maybe this question, is baptism necessary for a Christian, is kind of like asking is physical birth necessary to be alive? You might say, well, it's, you know, birth isn't what makes you alive. You're alive before you're born, but it certainly is a necessary part. And in the same way, baptism to the Christian life is not all there is to being born again, but it is a necessary act of obedience It shows your willingness to identify with Christ and identify with his people. Cornelius, another example in in Acts. So his household, Peter was preaching to them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and then because of that evidence, then they were baptized. Acts 19, let's read a passage there. Acts 19, verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now look at Paul's next question. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? He just assumes that they were baptized. And says, well, okay, so if you don't have the Holy Ghost, what baptism did you have? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. 
When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So just a an assumption right there that, that they were baptized. The baptism is a part of salvation. In some ways, it's kind of an after-the-fact, uh, the way we treat it, uh, after-the-fact part of salvation. Like physical birth, it's not the giver of life, but it is a definite part of the process. In the biblical examples, it seemed to come right with conversion. They were <clears throat> often baptized right away. The next question, are baptism and church membership tied together? So Acts 2, verse 41, uh, this is when they were, I'll just read it here. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Very clear, they were baptized, added to their group, just that came together. Acts 5:11 and great fear came upon all the church. So this was right after Ananias and Sapphira died for their dishonesty. The great fear came upon all the church, upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them but the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So there, there was a clear difference between those who believed and joined and those who thought highly of the believers, but didn't join. They didn't quite make, make it that far. There was a clear difference between believers and unbelievers. Acts 14.21, this was Paul and Barnabas, and when they had preached the gospel in that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every city and prayed with fasting, they commanded, commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So there, the souls of the disciples are just assumed to be in the church. And another um, couple of verses in Acts 15, and I'm not going to read this whole passage, but there Paul said unto, uh, said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city. And then there was a, the... They split ways because of their disagreement over John Mark. And then it says, uh, Paul chose Silas, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So there are brethren in every city, kind of used as a interchangeably with churches. Nowhere in the New Testament does it mention believers as being separate from a church. That it is always assumed to be baptized, assumed to be part of a church. Now, churches all through history have done, had different ways of doing membership, and I think there's room for that, but the concept of difference between in the, in the church, out of the church, that is a, a biblical concept, very clear. 
So next question, what happens if my church rejects me? So you have two, two valid options. One is repent if you're in error, and this should actually be your first assumption. If your church rejects you, well, then there should be, there's a reason for that. In Acts 18, excuse me, Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, those are both passages that talk about church discipline, and there the, the goal is repentance of the one who's in error. So that's the one option. The other option is if your church is in error, then hold fast, stand firm. You might say, well, can your church be in error? And yes, it can. Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 1, And unto the church, angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things saith he, that hast the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. And I'm going to skip a few verses down to verse 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. So clearly the church was having problems. Jesus was going to judge them. But there were a few that were faithful. And the implication here is that, you know, they, they were worthy. They would walk with him in white, indicating that the others would not. Church at Laodicea, Jesus said, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Ephesus, he said he would remove their candlesticks. So many of these churches, there were individuals who were faithful and not judged with the rest. But the church churches were in error. And Jesus didn't tell the faithful to leave. He just said to, to hold fast. So while it is possible for your church to be in error, uh, if you are rejected, your, your flesh is just going to assume that that's, that's the problem. It's the church is the problem, and I'm the one that's right. You should. It should be the other way around. You should assume that you need to repent until you can prove from the Bible that that it's the church that's in error and and not you. So two options when your church rejects you. The most likely one would be that you should repent, or it, it is also a possibility that the church could be in error. So what if I'm in a church? Does that mean I am spiritually safe? And remember these churches in Re Revelation, no, they weren't spiritually safe. There's no guarantee. But here is a reason to be in a church. And I'm going to read some verses from uh, Ephesians 4. You can just listen. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, 
and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, that speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So you get that picture of of the stability and the nurturing, the building up that happens when you you are in the church. So you will be judged individually, but you'll be heavily influenced by the church, the group that you're a part of, and you'll be judged by how you relate to that group, to that church. Uh, Romans 14 has a couple of verses. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So that's that individual judgment. We all stand before God by ourselves. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So you are judged by how you relate to your brothers and sisters. John 13:34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So if being in a church isn't a guarantee of spiritual safety, and my church can influence me wrongly, wouldn't I be safer to be on my own? And it seems like a church is a a liability almost. And that's a very, I guess, an arrogant way of of looking at it. Um, So think of if your 10-year-old neighbor showed up at your house or you saw your 10-year-old neighbor somewhere and you asked, well, where's your mom and dad? And they said, I don't know. I don't need them. I left home. I, that was, home was a problem for me. I'm better off without, you know, your first reaction is, whoa, wait a minute. This is not right. A 10-year-old running around by themselves. It, uh, let's go see what the situation is at home that you don't want to be, you know, don't want to be there. That same, it should be the same thing when somebody isn't part of a congregation or when they feel like they don't need the congregation. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. A couple of verses here, 14 and 15. For the body is not one member, but many and if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And then he goes through a number of different uh, scenarios there with members, you know, not being part of the body. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. 
Next question, does the church need to have edges or boundaries? Um, in other words, why can't we just focus on serving the Lord, encouraging those around us to serve the Lord? When you define the edges of the congregation, that's where people get hurt. Why can't we just not be so fussy about that and and uh, and be more loving to people? So Jesus was not afraid of discipline. Uh, think of that time in it's in John six where he told his disciples and another larger group of people. He said, "Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood." you can't be a part of me. And and his disciples said, that's a hard saying. It's tough to understand. And there were many people who left because of that. And then Jesus asked them, well, are you guys going to leave? And they said, well, to who, whom would we go? You are the one that has eternal life. So Jesus was not afraid to just say it like it is, even if it meant people leaving. Luke 14, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The rich young ruler Jesus met him in his area of need. Uh, you know, you could say, well, Jesus could have said, well, why don't you, why don't you follow me for a week? Let's let's talk. Let's see if we can come to some understanding here. Jesus just said, no, you got to go sell everything. Come follow me. And it wasn't the rich young ruler couldn't do that. Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. Both, both very clear passages about church discipline. First, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read some of the last part of the chapter there. Um, verse 9, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs, be, needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater, a railer or drunkard or an extortioner, with such in one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them that are without do ye not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore put away from among you yourselves that wicked person. So very clearly defined lines of those who are in, those who are out. So how do we know if a person is in a church or out? Like who decides? And that is clearly the local congregation. The passage I just read you know, it's the people right there are the ones who decide that. In Matthew 18, I'll read a couple of verses here. 
talking about this church discipline, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So there seems to be something about what the local congregation decides on these matters is is even reflected in heaven. So it's a very serious matter, the the church discipline. You should just take that extremely serious. So what if a person is not connected to a local church? You know, then you, do you meet somebody and ask who's, you know, where do you go to church? And they say, oh, I, I go here, I go there, I'm not really connected anywhere. I mean, so there's no local church holding them accountable. What? And biblically, it would be God that judges them. And it, 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 uh, Hebrews 10 does say it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's in the context of judgment. That doesn't mean that God is always going to judge them in, you know, in anger and judgment. But it is a fearful thing. So what if I'm between churches for whatever reason? I've left one, haven't quite joined into the next one. And I don't know that the New Testament addresses that. Uh, It's maybe somewhat like, you know, between what we call conversion and baptism. Um, the, The New Testament doesn't exactly address that. And it probably depends some on your attitude and your direction. If you're following God, he will lead you into a church. The danger is if you hold back and, and, and resist the Lord's direction. So Jesus demands complete sacrifice. If we have died completely to self, it shouldn't be that hard to submit to a local congregation. Next question, can those outside the church, in other words, non-Christians or ones that aren't part of our group, can they attend the meetings? You know, if it's supposed to be this clear line, well, what about our church meetings? 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church... They come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that ye are mad, but if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or is unlearned, he is convinced of all and he is judged of all. So there Paul is saying, you know, you're, met, you're meeting together as a church and there's unbelievers that come in. So clearly he's saying that's, that's okay. Now, I'm assuming that the New Testament is a pattern for us today. There are people who aren't quite sure about that. A couple of passages here. 1 Timothy 1, verse 13 says, Hold fast to the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And then Jude 
verse 3, Behold, I have, or behold, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And in many translations say, faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Indicating the New Testament pattern is for the whole church age until, until Jesus returns. So how should I relate to the church? I'm going to read a couple of verses from 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then in closing, you can turn to Romans 12. Also a passage about relating to the church. So why don't we read this together, uh, starting verse 1 down to 13. Read with me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. For ministry, let us wait on our ministry. For me that teacheth on teaching, for me that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil. Please to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not thoughtful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. God bless you as you live for him in your local congregation here and 
uh, and work that out in your daily lives. 